If you will, take your Bibles and turn to Mark chapter 4, begin reading in verse 35. Begin reading in verse 35. We are indeed making our way through the book of Mark. Message today is um, entitled The Challenge of Following Jesus. This is a very familiar story. If you will, if you found that scripture, would you stand to honor the reading of God's holy word? Beginning in verse 35. On that day, when the evening had come, he, that's Jesus, told them, let's cross over to the other side of the lake. So they left the crowd and took him along since he was already in a boat. And other boats were with him. A fierce windstorm arose, and the waves were breaking over the boat so that the boat was already being swamped. But he was in the stern, sleeping on a cushion. So they woke him up and said to him, Teacher, don't you care that we're going to die? He got up rebuked the winds, and said to the sea, Silence, be still. The wind ceased, and there was a great calm. And he said to them, Why are you so fearful? Do you still have no faith? And they were terrified, and asked one another, Who then is this? Even the winds and the sea obey him. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, I pray that you will this morning thwart all tempts of Satan to get into this service and become a distraction. I pray that you will take your word that you have so graciously given to us And I pray that you will open it in such a way that we will see it like we've never seen it before. I pray that you will look into our hearts. And that you'll reveal to us today who it is or what it is that we're closely following. And I pray whatever it is in our hearts, I pray you'll replace it with Jesus in your name. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. I begin by telling you that the scripture that we've just read, while very familiar, is a scripture that we could spend a month on preaching, teaching, studying, and we would never cover all the topics, all the lessons that are learned from this particular scripture. I mean, you, you think about it. We could preach for a month in the scripture and never repeat a text we could we could title a message that Jesus is the Lord of the storm, or or is Jesus in your boat, or Jesus is coming the storm. Or you get to the end of the text, uh, uh, who is this man? I mean, I've read many messages this week from this text, and some of the ones that I've read from other other preachers are, have titles like the storms of life, or the perfect storm, or when you think you're going under, I mean, the, the messages abound. 
The one that I particularly like may come back and preach this text again, Brother James. The other side of the lake. But we'll get to that in a second. Here's the point. I've never heard anybody lift out what I believe God spoke to me about this particular text. About following Jesus. The challenge of following Jesus. We're big on challenges today in this culture. You say, Brother Jerry, what are you talking about? Well, look at your TV. Every other TV program is a challenge. You got Survivor. You got The Biggest Loser. You got uh, Fear Factor. You got The Amazing Race. Everybody is up for a challenge. You want to be challenged. But here's what I'm going to say to you. There is no challenge in this society any greater than the challenge of following Jesus. I want to say that again. There is no greater challenge, are you listening teenagers, in this culture than the challenge of following Jesus. And why is that? Because the tide of popular opinion, the tide of public opinion, runs counter to you following Jesus. You see, if you look around, you will discover that it's going to require you more fortitude, it's going to require you more courage to follow Jesus than anything else. Because you see, folks, following Jesus, and I hear this clearly, following Jesus is not just attending a Sunday morning service. It's not just going to youth events, student events. It's not just being involved in children's ministry. It's just not, it's just not doing just a few things. Following Jesus means that you hand control of your life over to Jesus. Now listen, those who love to travel, and we'll get to that in a second. That means giving Jesus your schedule. That means giving Jesus your hobbies. That means giving Jesus your money. That means giving Jesus your time. That means handing it over to Him. In every sense of the word, the requirements, the call of Jesus makes demands that we don't understand, and it is a real challenge. Now, some will say, oh, following Jesus is easy, but it isn't. Some will say following Jesus is impossible, but it isn't. Some will say by the way they live that following Jesus is irrelevant. But I say it's a challenge. It's a challenge that requires energy. It's a challenge that requires effort. It's a challenge that at times will require your blood, sweat, and tears to follow Jesus. Let's make it real personal. We all know about following things. Now, don't look self-righteous when I bring these up because we have things that we follow diligently. In this room, there are some race car fans. Hello? You know the number of your race car driver. You follow that race car driver. I mean, you give yourself to that race car driver. There are others that follow sports teams. Last year was a difficult year for me. But I will tell you, I neither put a bag over my face nor turn my back on them. But I'm a New Orleans Saints fan. They had a tough year last year. Now, before you get on me and say, you're right, Brother Jerry, there are some college fans in here. You had a... Horrific year last year. Now, for those that had the year that you've won two years in a row, 
I remember not too long ago when you were crying in your soup because you had bad. You were having time too. You see, when you follow somebody or something, there are challenges. But here's what I want to say to you, Now I want you to hear this beyond the sports, the things that we do today. The truth is, whoever or whatever you choose to give your life to following says something about you. And I put it to you today, in the matter of life and death and heaven and hell, who or what is it that you're following? Who or what is it is in your sight glass? And before you answer too quickly, the Sunday school answer, who is it you're following? And everybody goes, Jesus. Before it is that you give it the Sunday school answer that you're following Jesus, just remember this, people know because Jesus told us that people can know who you are by what you do and what you say because out of your heart flow the issues of life. Out of your heart the mouth speaks and out of your heart we can see what your priorities by where your treasures are. So I ask you today, what are you following? In the case of the disciples, I believe this story gives us a prime, a prime class A exhibit about what it means to follow Jesus. So let's just follow it through three basic thoughts. You can write it down on the back of your bulletin. First of all, I begin by thinking of this as the trip. The trip. Now, everybody gets excited because you love to take trips. There are people in here who probably like to travel a little too much. You don't believe it? Look at their credit card balances, okay? We like trips. Well, may I just say this to you? Following Jesus is not a one-time event. It is a trip. It is a trek. And the reason I would tell you it's a trek is because you really don't know where it's going to end up. And you see, the truth is when we go on trips, we kind of like to... We kind of like to be in control. Hello? We like to decide the destination. We like to decide the driver. We like to decide the directions. We even like to decide the stops. And when you take this trip with Jesus, please listen. When you take the trip with Jesus and you follow Jesus, you've handed him control. Look here at the three things that we see about the trip. He says in verse 30, it says verse 35, on that day when the evening had come, he told them, let's cross over. This is the call from Jesus. Let's go. The call. Let's go. Jesus says, here's what he says. Let me put it in our terms. He says, let's go to the other side. I want to be clear today that the essence of Jesus' call on your life is to go. The essence of Jesus' call on our life is to go. Now, some people think, well, that just means the preachers. You know, you don't have to be a vocational minister where you receive a call from God to be a vocational minister and a church affirmed that calling. And you have to lift your family up and move them three or 400 miles away, trusting God that everything's going to go okay, that you can build His kingdom in that place. That is certainly one of those calls. But may I say this to you? It is a call for every believer to move themselves in their thinking from where they are to where He wants them to be. He says, let's go. It is a call to do what Jesus did, carry the gospel to the people that we know. Just for a matter of reference, check me out. There is no call for you to sit and soak. There's a call for you to stand and serve. 
There's a call for you to go. There's a call for you to tell. If I were to ask you where the Great Commission is written in the Bible, some of you would say Matthew 28. Some of you would say Mark 16. Some of you would say John 20. Some of you would say Acts 1. But we'd all have to agree that every time that that, that Jesus' words are mentioned, it is, go therefore and preach the gospel. Go therefore and make disciples. And I want to say this to us today, as lovingly as I know how, but as pointedly as I know how, we have taken the great commission of Jesus and turned it into the great suggestion from Jesus. It's not a one man doing it. It's not a deacon body doing it. It is every believer who claims to know Christ. If you're going to follow Christ, you have to go. But Jesus didn't just stop with let's go. He didn't just stop with let's cross over. He gave a destination. He said, let's go to the other side. Why in the world the other side? Man, there was a crowd here on this side. Man, some good things were happening on this side. Why does Jesus call for us to go to the other side? He calls us to leave our place of comfort, to go to a place that we may not know, and to a place that may not be comfortable. You know why he does this? Because Jesus knows that on the other side, there are needs to be met. Next Sunday, we'll get into chapter 5. You know what was waiting for him on the other side of the lake? A demon-possessed man. That demon-possessed man could only be freed if they crossed over to the other side and they brought Jesus and his ministry to the other side. Jesus calls every one of us to be saved. Peter tells us that that the Lord is not willing that any should perish. But the Scriptures go on to tell us that many will be lost because when God speaks to their hearts, they don't believe nor do they respond. Jesus is calling today. The first step is to come to Christ and then then He says in that call to come to Him, He says, come to Me and follow Me. When you follow Jesus, you have to go where Jesus goes. You have to do what Jesus did. And and many times it is to the other side. Take Acts 1.8 for a second. He says, you will, you shall, depending on which translation you use, but it's in the imperative. You will, you shall be my witnesses. And here's where you're going to be my witnesses. You start at home in Jerusalem. You should be a witness at home. People should see me in your life so much that you have to explain yourself. Hello? And Jerusalem. Then he says you are to be witnesses in the area right around your home, Judea. And then he says you have to be witnesses to the uttermost parts of the world. You have to be globally involved. But watch this. He says, but you've also got to go to Samaria. That's the place you don't want to go. That's the place you're uncomfortable. That's the place across the tracks. You know, for some of us, Samaria doesn't have to do it. It's not geographic at all. For some of us, the Samaria where God has called us 
to go and witness. It's in the confines of our fellowship. Going to a part of that fellowship, seeing people that you're not normally seen with and comfortable with. Doing things you're not normally comfortable doing. Building family, building bond. He calls us. It's the call. He called them and he said, let's go cross over to the other side. The call. And then you see the cost. The cost. Following Jesus has a great payoff. Somebody said, somebody said the retirement plan's out of this world. Following Jesus has a great payoff, but you make no mistake, it costs you something. Anybody who has soft-souled you Christianity has gotten away from the Bible. Have not looked in God's Word. Watch this. In verse 36 it says, So they left the crowd. Another translation says, Leaving the crowd. You know what? If you're going to follow Jesus, you may have to leave the crowd behind. Hello? Some of us, that just... That hurts us. We're gasping. And because, you see, the crowd makes us comfortable. The crowd gives us self-worth. The crowd gives us confidence. You don't believe that? How many times do people try to prove a point and say, Well, they said, uh, hello, You anybody ever said that to you? Have you ever said that? The crowd makes people comfortable. But here's what I will tell you. When it comes to the Bible, check me out on it. Most of the time... The crowd gets it wrong. I'm convinced, why in the Bible, that they didn't have this thing of uh, um, church rule. There was some congregational participation, but congregation didn't run the church. That's why they had the elders set up, was because the crowd had been getting it wrong ever since back at Kadesh Barnea when the, when the, uh, when the crowd, the majority, voted to not do what God told them to do. Sometimes it's going to take you to turn, turn your back on the crowd. And you know why that is? Jesus teaches us why that is. The crowd is on the wide road that leads to destruction. Jesus said, Wide is the gate and broad is the way that leads to destruction, but narrow is the gate and straight is the way that leads to life. And that picture in that passage is a road inside of a road, a big road going this way, and inside that big road, a little road going against the grain. You see, the disciples, the disciples could have made excuses. The disciples could have tried to opt out. But maybe, maybe, we need to look at it like this. Following Jesus always leads you by a cross. But as that old hymn said, Brother Jerry, the way of the cross leads home. The way of the cross leads home. The trip following Jesus, make no mistake about it. If you came here today and you were going to give your life to Jesus because it's going to be the easy way, no problems, no threats. If you're going to join this church because there was going to be no problems, no threats, let me just tell you something. It's going to cost you something to follow Jesus. It may cost you popularity may cost you having to change. may cost you to have to go to the other side. Following Jesus is always predicated on hearing his call and counting the cost. Here's what happened. 
They left. They left. And I love the way King James talks about this. When you follow Jesus, you have a companion. Look at the companion. It says, so they left the crowd. That's good. And they took him along. I like the way this is said, since he was already in the boat. Do you remember when he got in the boat? He got in the boat to teach. It's a very natural thing. He got in the boat to teach. It's worth, it's worth us understanding that Jesus was already in their boat. And so they took the trip with him. Can I just say this to you? you this may not have dawned on you. What a picture of salvation. Jesus in your boat. You see, the truth is, on this trip we call life, we've got somebody in the boat, and I asked you today, who is in your boat? Who is the master of your sea? Who is walking with you? Who is the one that cares for you more than your mama? Who is it that you have that walks with you and talks with you? Folks, it matters who you travel with. Back in the year 2000, Deb and I, Planned a trip to Branson, Missouri. Jonathan, that guy that stands about this tall now, he's about that tall then. And he had his best friend in the world. His name's Joel. Joel Wilson. Now, I'm going to just tell you, those were two peas in a pod, and there were enough trouble to take down a town. Now, let me tell you, to pray for Pascagoula, Mississippi, because when Jonathan was here last week, he told me that Joel and his wife just moved to town. And I said, oh, Lord, my friends in Pascagoula will never be the same. We carried Joel and Jonathan, and uh, I will not explain to you all the nuances of traveling with those two little teenage boys at that time. If you'd like, maybe I'll explain it to you privately. But I'm going to just tell you something. It matters who you travel with. Can you get what I'm saying to you? And here's what I want to ask you today. In this, in this trip of life, Is Jesus in your boat? He doesn't get there by accident. He gets there by invitation. If he is in your boat, let me ask you this. Is he asleep on a cushion because you've not interacted with him? You've not fellowshiped with him? You've not talked with him? Is he sleeping in your boat of life? If he's not in your boat, why not? Because you know what I believe? I believe for every person in this room where Jesus is not in your boat already, I believe he's standing at your heart's door and knocking and wanting to get in. One thing about your heart door is just like that picture I've got to put up here of Jesus standing there knocking. There's no door handle on the outside. He doesn't force his way in. He knocks, makes himself available, and the Bible clearly says that you must open the door. Suppose he's with you right now, like he was in their boat. Suppose he's traveling with you. So many people think, because I got Jesus with me, life is not going to have any trouble, any trial. But watch this. I want you to see from this text, the test. The test. Because you know what the truth is? Is that if you walk with Jesus, you're going to have some trials. And you're going to have some tests. There's going to be a couple of reasons for that. James says this, 
James now is the half-brother of Jesus. James 1 verse 2 says, Count it all joy, consider it pure joy, all joy, complete joy, when you fall into various trials and testings. Knowing that those testings have a purpose, James doesn't say, count it all joy if the test comes along, or on the outside chance troubles come. He says, when? Because it is coming. So look here, first of all, at the crisis. Verse 37. A fierce windstorm arose, and the waves were breaking over the boat, so that the boat was already being swamped. A great windstorm. Now, you need to remember something. These guys in this boat were not rookies. At least four professional boatsmen, four professional fishermen. This was not their first rodeo. This was not their storm. They knew the Sea of Galilee like the back of their hand. They were sea dogs. And Luke says they were in great danger. Matthew says that these guys are crying We're going to die. Mark writes, the boat was already being swamped, and and that's the takeoff from Peter. Can you imagine Peter with his fiery personality? And Mark, you know what went on? That boat, we were just about swamped. Now, for those city slickers that don't know what swamp means, that means the boat's about to go down. So life and death. Now, I've never been to... The Sea of Galilee. I know James and Barbara just got back from that area of the country. What I do know about it is that it is, the Sea of Galilee is below sea level. And it's surrounded by mountains which lets the hot air and the cold air meet. And it is a recipe for unstable weather patterns. And that means that you can have a clear day and all of a sudden... You can have a bad storm. That's a perfect picture of life, isn't it? You can be going along just like everything's okay, and you can be traveling along with Jesus, and you can your life can you feel like have the sunshine on it, and all of a sudden the storm comes. So most of the time we process storms in the wrong way. There are basically two reasons for storms in your life if you're traveling with Jesus. Disobedience and obedience. Could you say those two words with me? Say disobedience. Disobedience. Now say obedience. You see, disobedience, when the storm comes and you're being disobedient, it is coming to correct you. It is coming to bring you back in line. In fact, when you get into a storm, probably the first thing you should do is approach God and say, Why? Do I have sin? Are you trying to teach me something? Because when the storms come in your times of being obedient, God is trying to mature you. Because you see, your crisis is a test to see who you are and to see to whom you will go when the chips are down. And oh, by the way, God don't have to do that to know who you are. It's not for him. He already knows. God does it to show you, to show me. The disciples were out on the boat that was being swamped, and so they had a choice to make. They had a choice to make. 
what would they do? When you face a crisis, you have a choice. For the disciples, if you think about it, they were self-confident in their ability. They were secure in their craft. They had faced many storms like this. However, this time, there was something different about this storm. As I read this story, and particularly this week as I was reading it, it occurred to me this question. Was God testing the disciples to see how long it would take them to know that they couldn't handle his storm and that they could then turn to Jesus? How long does it take you? When you're in the middle of the storm, when the chips are down, where do you go? What do you say? Thanks, Jamie, for that song this morning. Two of my favorite gospel songwriters are Dottie Rambo and J.B. Coates. Dottie wrote, I go to the rock. I know that's able. I go to the rock. J.B. Coates wrote the song, Where Could I Go But to the Lord? You say, Brother Jerry, I'm not in a storm right now. Well, let me just tell you your position. I can tell you your position in your life right now. You're one of three places. In your personal life, you're either in the middle of a storm. I don't know what it is. Or you're just coming out of a storm. Or you're about to enter a storm. And I ask you, is Jesus in your boat? Is he asleep on the mat? It seemed like he was in the boat. And they had a choice to make. And they finally woke him up. And when they woke him up, you see the last part, the calming of the storm. The calming of the storm. Verse verse 39, he got up. And he rebuked the wind, and he said to the sea, Silence, be still. The wind ceased, and there was a great calm. Wow. Have you ever let that really process? Here the guys are out on the sea. It's dark. Storms raging. Boats being swamped. And they got this guy in the front. They just haven't been following him very long. They've heard him teach. Man, he seems like great. He seems like he has a word from God. But we're about to die. And he stands up and he says, okay, stop. And the weather stops. You know, when I see that picture, I I am convinced that if Jesus has the power over nature, he can take care of any storm that comes into my life. If he's given the opportunity, he'll rebuke the winds, he'll rebuke the waves, he'll come it down, he'll calm it down, and the danger will be past. I believe he'll do it in your life if you'll let him. I believe he'll speak the word for you. But he will only do it if you ask. How about that? Until they went and woke him up. That boat was rocking for Jesus just like it was rocking for them. That boat was getting as wet for Jesus as it was getting wet for them. And until they came and asked, he didn't respond. They had followed Jesus. Now you're getting this, aren't you? You're not letting this pass. 
They're following Jesus. They're with Jesus in the boat, and it led them right into a storm. Some people think if they get, have a, get into a storm of life that they have to ascend, that they're not walking with Jesus, and the Bible doesn't bear that out. That's why it's a challenge. But watch this. Now they had followed Jesus into the storm, and boy, he had calmed the storm. If you follow Jesus, it's going to come into a, you're going to get into a storm. And now Jesus had seen them through the storm. He had calmed the storm, which he will always do. And now comes the teaching point, the truth, the truth. Verse 40 and 41 gives us a picture of the truth. Jesus is a true teacher because he never lets a, defined, a teachable moment pass. Now, will we hear? The first thing that he teaches them is about fear. About fear. You ever been afraid? Reagan Courtney and Burl Red, I believe, wrote a musical in the early 70s, Light Shine. And that song, and that musical was a song entitled Would You? And the words are something like this Would you cherish loving arms if you ne- never shed a tear? Would you welcome going home if you've never went a- been away? Would you value having hope if you've never known despair? I don't think so. You see, if you've never been afraid, you probably can't identify with these guys. Jesus came to them, and you know what he said? He said, guys, why are you so afraid? I mean, I can almost hear the disbelief and the hurt in Jesus' tone. He says, let me put it in my terms. Guys, after all you've seen, after all you've heard, after all I've done, don't you trust me? You know what I think happened? I think after the storm, these words found back in verse, at the end of verse 38 were ringing in his ears, but he was in the stern sleeping. So they woke him up and said to him, watch this, Teacher, don't you care? I mean, can you imagine how deeply, deeply that stung him? I mean, a storm has a way of revealing who you really are and what you really are. Fear won't necessarily bring out the worst. Fear won't necessarily bring out the best. Fear will bring out who you are. And it will also paralyze you. You hang on to your fear long enough, it'll paralyze you. So you can't follow him. Trust me, I know. It'll lock you down to where you just don't want to do anything. Fear will tell you that you can't. But listen to this. Let me just take you off the hook. You can't. He never said you could. He can, and he always said he would, if you let him. He teaches them about fear. Why are you so fearful? Why are you afraid? 
When it comes to following Jesus out there, why are you so afraid, folks? Why do we park our faith at the door? Brother Jerry, how do you know we park our faith at the door? Well, look around and count the guests here. If we didn't park our faith at the door, we'd have some folks following us. Second thing he teaches is not just about fear. He teaches about faith. You see, the follow-up question to why you're so fearful, he, he, follows, he follows up with, do you still, do you get that term? Do you still have no faith? You see, Jesus desires for us not to walk in fear, but to walk by faith. And all he was seeing from his disciples at this point was fear. Fear is seeing where you can't walk, and faith is walking where you can't see. Fear is seeing where you can't walk, and faith is walking where you can't see, and it's walking with Jesus as far as you can see, and then taking one more step. So I ask you today, where's your faith? In who or in what are you putting faith? Oh, Brother Jerry, I'm putting my faith in Jesus. Really? If you're trusting Jesus, are you giving him all you have? And when you give him all you have, are you trusting him with it? Or really, do you trust you? Just like the disciples, God wants us to be faith-walking people. Romans 1 tells us the righteous live by faith. Galatians tells us we are to walk by faith and that we are justified by faith. Ephesians tells us we are saved by faith. The child of faith is trust. And following Jesus requires that we trust him with all that he has. And that brings us to the last truth here. He not only teaches about fear, about faith, but he also, there's a little word here about the future. About the future. You ask and you look there and you go, Brother Jerry, how in the world did you get this? Well, look at, look at verse 41. <clears throat> And they were terrified and asked one another, Who then is this? I believe another translation says, Who is this man? At this point in the story, I don't know whether the disciples were more afraid of the storm or the Savior. I don't know what frightened them both. I mean, out of unspeakable terror, they ask, Who is this man? And now, the message is all gone for the morning. And now we are at the very crux of the challenge of following Jesus. Who is this man? Who is he to you? Is he just a figure in history? Or is he a very presence in your heart? Is he a friend you walk with every day? 
Do you trust him in every part of your life? Do you trust him in your home? Do you trust him at work? Do you trust him with your friends? Do you trust him at school? Do you trust him wherever you are, whatever you go, wherever you see, whatever you do? Who is this man? What you do with that question determines your future. Suppose I change the title of this message from the challenge of following Jesus to the challenge of being married. Anybody grinning besides me? Teenagers, I'm going to tell you something. This This is not a sermon on marriage. It's a sermon on challenge, and I'll just tell you, regardless of what your friends and other folks tell you, One of your greatest life challenges outside of following Jesus will be the challenge of being married. It's it's hard work. I mean, today they'll tell you, heard a celebrity say five or seven years ago, said, if anybody's married three years, their marriage is a success. Hello? It's not according to the Lord and his word. It's till death do us part. But think about marriage. Can you imagine going to the altar and saying your vows? I love you, I love you, I will, I will, I will, I do, I do, and all this. And then not speaking to other each other but once a week. Brother Jerry, that's silly. Well, how about how about Repenting of your sin and asking Jesus into your life and then speaking to him only once a week. Is that silly? And by the way, this thing of talking to Jesus, just like if you are married, you don't talk to your mate all the time. Hello? You listen sometimes. May I say this to you? Jesus don't just want to be talked with. He won't be talked to. He wants to be talked with. He wants to listen and heard. Can you hear him calling? He's standing at the door and knocking. For some hearts today, he's standing at the door and knocking, wanting to get in for the first time. For some, he's standing at the door and knocking. He wants some fellowship. He wants you to respond. He wants you to take the trip with him. Yeah, it may lead you through a storm, but guess what? You'll have him in your boat, and he's the master of the sea. Are you following Jesus today with all you are? By the way, with Jesus, here's the challenge. With Jesus, it's all or nothing. Let's pray together.